This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined once again with Jim Sebastio, and we're going to jump right into topic here in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to encourage you to go to practicalshepherding.com if you want to contact us or reach out for resources or anything we can provide for you. But I want to direct your attention specifically to sponsorapastor.org. This has now been launched as a part of our ministry. So go to sponsorapastor.org, and we would love for you to sponsor a pastor or for your church to sponsor a pastor. Or you can send it out to some people who might want to sponsor a pastor. Most of the ways we serve pastors does not cost pastors anything which is why we need you and others to kind of help us keep funding the ministries. That's a great way to help us if you would be willing to do that, sponsorpastor.org. We want to jump right into topic, though, as we, we usually do. And you know, we had a, a lot of responses on social media, as we, we're typically getting now, around things that people want us to talk about. And this is one of the things that was mentioned. And we chose it because we feel like it's an important topic. And really, I think we could arguably say, outside of maybe a really young church, uh, has affects every church that exists, maybe even that young church, as we get to mm-hmm. talking about what this means. But that is, somebody asked us about how do you deal with the traditions in the church that maybe uh, people are stubborn to change, especially the those who maybe been in the church a long time, things have been done a certain way for a long time, and people are resistant to want to, to change and adjust things or do something different. So this is what we want to be able to, to talk about. So Jim, will you will you kind of maybe set this up from a biblical perspective for us as we dive into the conversation? Uh, sure, Brian. Uh, I think we need to begin by asking a question, what, what is meant by tradition? So what is a tradition? A tradition is a belief or a custom passed on generation to generation. That's a general definition of Couldn't a tradition. Couldn't it be something created by somebody and it becomes the tradition? Yeah. So yeah, generation. right. So it's, again, custom belief, it can be, it, it can be at, at least at one time, it may have been it rooted in scripture or uh, it was it, what was initially something maybe novel, uh, something that was uh, done for the first time and, and others caught on and then it becomes embedded in the life of a community. And so here we're talking obviously about a church. And when you deal with tradition, and if you were to do a Bible study on tradition, you would find that there's some tension in the Word of God. So if a tradition is a custom or a belief or a practice that is passed on from one generation to another, you're gonna have to ask yourself, well, is it something good? Is it something bad? And why is it entrenched the way that it is? And so you find, for instance, in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, the apostle says, so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. So here here are some things that were passed on. This is the way you should do them. You should hold to them, pass them on. It's something that is good. But then you read in, for instance, Colossians 2 and verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition. Or again, the well-known words of our Lord in Matthew 15 and verse 3, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. And you know, so again, you have these one side and the other, you go back to the other side, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And so we need to ask ourselves is, uh, you know, where, where does this thing come from? But the, the point of, the, of, of it that we're going to get to today is that in virtually any community given enough time, 
there are going to be things that become simply the way that we do them. And if you exist for a long enough time, you begin to use things like, well, this is the way we've always done them. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly if a, a man is coming in to a a congregation, an established congregation, and he has a desire to uh, implement uh, a biblical uh, uh, truth, and perhaps you know, when I use this language, maybe even establish a new tradition mm-hmm. that this is the way it had been done, but this is a more biblical way. But we want to see it entrenched and passed on, and so in the good sense, it will become. Uh, something passed on generation to generation. But what do you do when the resistance is not, Pastor, this is not biblical, but Pastor, this is not the way that we've always done it. Yeah. And, and that's really the heart of what we want to get at. And and, and, and so I just want to kind of give that little bit of that background and set some of that tension that not all tradition is bad tradition not all bad not all tradition is to be automatically rejected mm-hmm. and so we need to ask ourselves all right here I am coming in persons coming into a new con- a new congregation a new context uh, and there are men and women in the church who may not be resistant so much to the content of the preaching and teaching as they are to the application of that teaching and preaching particularly mm-hmm as it confronts or will change long-standing practices in the church. How, how do you do that? So, so I have to say, just hearing you say that, like I'm so confused. Like the Bible in one minute says tradition's good. Mm-hmm. The next minute the Bible says it's bad. And then it goes back and, I mean, just you just <laughs> captured that well. Like I'm so confused at the moment. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. I'm sure everybody else is confused. Context I think, is everything. Yes, right. and I think, I think the place to really cut through all the confusion is I think... I think if if Al Martin could speak to this moment, you know, the great Al Martin, longtime pastor, some of you won't know who he is, but those who know, uh, he uh, he is a a longtime pastor, big influence on Jim and influence on on my life as well. Did Al have any kind of wisdom <laughs> around this particular? Yeah. Issue? So Brian wants me not only to say this, but to say it the way Al Martin would say it. Okay, he's got does one of the best Al Martin impressions. I just want you to know that. So, so uh, A. N. Martin, Alvin N. Martin. So every pastor should try to get uh, the three volumes on the uh, on oh, pastoral no theology. Doubt. No doubt. Just it'll, it'll cost recently, you a little yeah. bit, but Christmas is coming up. Tell tell your wife, Absolutely. tell your mom you want, or tell your church you want to invest sixty seventy dollars. Uh, but Pastor Martin said years ago when I was a student at the seminary that was housed at the church where he was pastor, he would say something like, Brethren, every man in ministry, if he would be found faithful, must slay the twin dragons of traditionalism and pragmatism. <laughs> the twin dragons. The twin dragons <laughs> or some, or the two-headed dragon, whatever it was, tradition, tradition and pragmatism. The two things either... Hey, pastor, this works, or hey, pastor, this is the way that we've always done them. And what he was exhorting is that we need to make, obviously, exegesis, we need to make the scriptures, and and when he was speaking about that, he was uh, saying it it, it, with the guardrails of the creeds and confessions of the church, uh, so that you're not going off onto something new and novel. Uh, but that you are able to answer the question, <clears throat> and this was something that was drilled into me, 
in in Isaiah chapter one, uh, Isaiah the Lord is speaking through Isaiah and talking about the people had created, in addition to the festivals and feast days, their own. Yeah. And the Lord asks a question. And this is a really important question mm-hmm. to answer if you're going to be found faithful. The Lord asks the people the question. He says, "Who has required this at your hand?" Mm-hmm. And the as as I was trained and taught, you know, you, you wanted to be able to say, "Lord, you did." And that is to say that if, if you look at our life together, you can find biblical evidence for why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And so Isaiah 8 and verse 20 was an important text for us to the law and to the testimony. Mm-hmm. If any man speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And, and, and that's a very strong word there uh, that is being used to describe what happens when people create, and this is the difference, Brian, I think, in the, with the confusion, is they create what is called human tradition. When they create a tradition that is uh, con- either contrary to God's word or so outside of God's word that when a clear commandment comes, in order to do that commandment, you have to reject the tradition. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem with the tradition sometimes is it carries a weight and an authority and an emotional attachment sometimes that when somebody is confronted with an exegetical truth, that that they're not able, their mind's not able to process. It's almost a, well, then the Bible must be wrong kind yeah. of a thing because we've always done it this way. My grandfather did it this way. My father did it this way. I've been at this church for 40 years, and this is the way it's always been done. And somebody comes alongside and says, well, you know, well, the Bible says, and then you, you actually will sometimes, people will actually say something like this, and these are professing believers, maybe church officers, well, then the Bible must be wrong. Now, they don't mean to say it, in, but that's actually what comes out, and yeah. the tradition is so embedded and it's so strong. Yeah. And we need to know that if we're going to minister effectively uh, to that person. How do we win that person? How do we bring that person along? I think it's one of the things we want to get to uh, in this talk today. Yeah, we do. And by the way, I I want to encourage you to finish this podcast to the end. But as soon as it's over, you should go look up an Al Martin sermon just to see (laughs) how how incredibly accurate his his impression is on that. Well, Pastor Martin himself told me that my impersonation of him is terrible. No And that way. he doesn't sound at all like okay. that. No. But now, while he said that, his wife was giving me the thumbs up in the background. <laughs> yeah. So I will say that. We will let you be the judge. There's plenty of Al Martin <laughs> sermons around, which, which are brilliant, by the way. So, so yeah, I think in the question, that's what we want to tackle today. And the question that came in about this really was the essence of that is, uh, how does a pastor go into a church? He clearly sees these traditions that he didn't set, that he's not emotionally attached to. Right. And he's got a bunch of people in the church, oftentimes older, but not always, that have done something a really long time. It's something that they have become emotionally tied to, and and they want to try to address it, but it, it becomes, especially in established churches, especially in revitalization contexts, where churches are dying and declining in large part because they're maybe following the traditions instead of letting the Bible determine mm-hmm. how, to, how to pursue church. So... That's what we want to talk about. What are some initial thoughts you have about you got a pastor who goes in, he's got a bunch of people who have been members of the church for 50 plus years, and they have clear traditions that cannot be argued from scripture. It's something that they've just emotionally become attached to. How does a pastor begin to maneuver through those traditions that he wants to eventually change, but he doesn't know how? 
Well, I think we want to, we've talked about some of this before, but you know, obviously not everybody's listened to every podcast. So if you're just jumping in here, I, I think you need to, first of all, you need to triage. And that is to say, you know, what, what is, what is most important and ask yourself what, what, what in regard to what needs to change. And again, you're, what you're hopeful is that you have a biblical exegetical grounds for what you want to change. And there's a difference. And we talked about this recently between your preferences and your convictions. Yep. And so your preference might be, well, I want to see us with a guitar in worship and they have a pipe organ. And, and your real grounds for that is that it's old fashioned and you don't like it and it, you don't think it helps. Well, that's not necessarily a, an exegetical conviction as right. much as it is a preference. So you need, you need to try to discern those in your own mind. Yes, and, and I think biblically work that out. So you need to triage and you need to be able to say, all right, there, there's 15 things here that I think need, need to change. Some of them may not ever change. Some of them might be that they're not going to change as long as there are certain people there where it, it, that's a war you don't want to get into. You don't need to get into, again, unless you're dealing with something that is really and truly a scriptural exegetical truth that is being ignored for the sake of the traditions, which is what Jesus rebukes uh, in the gospels. And that is you can't do what the Bible tells you to do because you're so wedded to your traditions. I think that triaging is something that's very important. So I'm just going to go one by one. So that's the first thing that I would say. Yeah. I'll add to, so that's good. And that's a great place to start, I believe. And I'll add to that that you have to, I, I wish uh, a faithful pastor could go into a church and clearly teach God's word. And the church goes, oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that with us. Right. We hadn't, we didn't realize that. Let's do it that way now. Right. Uh, but the reality is, and this is what, this is where a lot of pastors who love to think in black and white don't, don't realize this, that just because it may be even be clear in the Bible, you should be doing something it's not necessarily you're going to be able to implement that immediately. Most of the time, you you cannot. So, I would say you have to first know that that you got to know what the Bible like. You got to determine what you just said. Right. Is this preference or is this really a biblical conviction? But then, what you have to do is you have to function faithfully within the current tradition. And, and I tell guys this like whatever the tradition is, like you have to enter into that church and enter into that tradition, whatever whatever it is, whatever the. Christmas traditions are whatever the the musical traditions are and mm-hmm. so you have to enter into all those traditions mm-hmm. at the beginning I believe and function within them and begin to earn trust within that structure before yeah. you can change it the mistake a lot of guys make is they go in and determine hey this is really unbiblical classic example I see all the time and I dealt with a lot you come into the church and the church is like singing borderline heretical hymns or songs in the search. They don't know they are. Mm. You know, somebody introduced it 10 years ago or something, but they don't realize that. They they don't they don't understand how to think theologically at all about what we're actually singing. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's like but it, they're beloved hymns in right. the church. So you come in and you read you sing this song, man, we're never singing that again. It's heretic, it's this and that. And again, I say heretical, I mean, sometimes it's just unhelpfully written or it's maybe just a little off. Or something. That's about picking your battles that you were talking about. But that's the kind of stuff you come in and you burn collateral every time you try to change yeah. your tradition really fast. So, you, you, so that the one thing I would add to this is you you have to know what the tradition is, see it like you're talking about, but then enter into it and function faithfully the best you can within that tradition. 
So uh, there's a complex of things that, that I just want to back up, really yep. kind of back up what you say, and that is uh, how do you, you use the word collateral? How do you earn that collateral? And this is something we talk about a lot is how do you earn the collateral and, and how and when do you spend that collateral? And so in order to make effective change, and this is going to depend on your context, but here I think we're particularly dealing with the context of, of not people saying, Pastor, we're, we're so hungry, we, we're, we're at a loss, please teach us, we're, we're new to these things, we, you know, they're new theology uh, as far as we know it's historical, but we've never been taught this before. But, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about people, you, you're coming in, and there are things well-established, and, and the church has been there, whatever, 50, 100 years. And so you say to yourself, all right, the first thing I need to establish is the authority of God's word, and I will establish that by effectively communicating God's word. Which happens day one, by the way. That's day one. That's the biggest thing you can do is to faithfully preach God's word. That's right. You're secondly going to need to be uh, a man of integrity, and and so that if your own life undermines, no matter how true what you say is, Mm If you're an arrogant jerk, you know, those kinds of things. And that touches on the third thing, and mm-hmm. that is your affection for the people. Mm. God's people, the Lord's people, are going to be drawn and attracted to that kind of ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, they may it may take a while before they're able to receive it because they've been malnourished and they've like they've never really had a solid meal from the word before, but if they are real sheep. And a real man of God with real integrity and a loving heart and loving servant heart is coming in there and, and, and lets the people know, I have no agenda other than to proclaim the truth of God and be faithful to you and shepherd you to the end. That, that, that's my desire. That's how a man earns collab. That's how he gains ears. That's yeah. how somebody begins to say, you know, uh, you know, I tr- I trust him. I, I trust him. He he handles the word so well. He lives well and he loves well. And as a result of that, I'm willing to listen to him when he when he says, "Now listen, folks. I've been here for. Maybe this is the next part we have to deal with. What's our timetable? Yeah. Uh, but maybe a man is able to say, "Listen, we, I've been here, and, and you and I may disagree on on exactly when this timetable comes, whether it's a year, two years, three years, four years, five years." To be able to say, "Now, as we work our way through the Scripture, what's our desire?" And again, I hope the desire well to know the will of God and do the will of God, and that if I can show you something in the Bible that we have not been doing that we should do. Or if there's something that we are doing that we should not be doing now that we now mm-hmm. that we have come to understand yeah. these things, what what do brothers and sisters, what are we going to do with it? So, and, and that's the hopeful. What you brought out earlier is that the hope then is that the people of God are going to respond, having been trained in the scriptures to say, well, you know, well, show us, show us, and we'll follow. Show us what the Bible says, and we'll do it. So let's go there. So when we hit that point, by the way, I totally agree with what you said that. Faithful ministry over time mm-hmm. is how you earn that relational collateral to then be able to change things, even deeply embedded transitions or tra- uh, traditions in the church. But when we get to that point, how how do you do it? Well, I think you've articulated one aspect of that. Look, you've I've we've taught I've taught this for years. You know, mm-hmm. and I think this is one of the tangible implications in our own church of how we maybe can can more faithfully apply the word in mm-hmm. this way. I think that's one approach. I, the and of course, my 
with me being in revitalization world, you know, I'm convinced one of the ways once when it's time to make a change, do it slowly and subtly. Mm. A lot of times, you know, again, sheep get jolted with something that's really shocking and mm-hmm. and and you know, kind of all of a sudden. And I think the and and by the way, I don't think that's remotely manipulative. I think it is a, a, a way to help people absorb something slowly. So, for example, you know, you you want to add instrumentation, and because the tradition was just just organ or you know or just piano in your music or whatever, you want to add instrumentation. The the worst thing you can do is the next Sunday show up and there's a full band in place. Right. You know, add something small. And just mm-hmm. leave it. See how it goes. A and, triangle. Yeah. Well, that's small. That's for sure. <laughs> Although it makes a really piercing noise if you, unless you know how to play it well. But, you know, things like that. So yeah. I, I learned, and I think this is a really, it's a helpful way for the people of the church to absorb things slowly. And if anybody, compl- they recognize you're changing the tradition. I don't like this. All the, you know, when you put a subtle thing in or a small thing in to build slowly, it's like I don't like that. Okay, thanks for letting me know. But but when you just change things radically, see, I bring this up because a lot of I, I find a lot of pastors think, you know, it is a rip the bandaid off really fast all at once and take your licks from that. The problem is, you, the, what what re- happens relationally to people when they see you function that way. So you may even get away with whatever thing you just wanted to change, and they lived with it. But mm-hmm. what what relational, you know. Um, struggle did you create in in your in the lives of the people that you're trying to win uh trust with so be when it's time to change stuff i think it's a good approach be slow and subtle about it you you know you want to you know you want to add a a pastoral prayer to your church service that's never been there before and it's part of the tradition that they actually don't pray very much in the service like how do you deal with mm-hmm. that tradition well at some point add a pastoral prayer mm-hmm. in it but you, but yeah. you don't just totally change the service all at once. Well, so I, I on some of this, I'm going to again get it's going to get down to the issues, you know, what the particular issue is, because again, I, I do think exegetically to the law and to the testimony, and that is, if there is something that offends, or if there's and again, there's a difference between what the thing is and how the thing is done. And so, for instance, we, we need to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So right. it may be, for instance, say, look, I, th- I, I think we are biblically commanded to sing psalms. A lot of churches neglect the psalter altogether. There are churches that, as part of their theological heritage, they sing only the psalms. Some right. people would be shocked by that, perhaps. Yeah. And some will sing only the psalms without accompaniment. Uh, but let's say you say, I think there should be at least inclusive psalmody, some hold to exclusive mm. psalmody. So mm. that's one thing to say, all right, we need to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, and maybe to teach, these songs should have theological content. We should be able to teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that is that biblical truth should be expounded and that we would encourage and admonish and, and help one another, not just that that these things are preeminently for the glory of God and that we are singing this out of obedience to God. I think we can lay that kind of a foundation and and then say, all right, so we're going to evaluate what we sing. And now the question comes, well, how are we going to sing it? Are we going to sing it a cappella? Are we going to sing it with some kind of musical accompaniment? And I think we need to ensure that we are, we are not equating the two, that what we sing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with solid theology— and how we sing it 
and uh, or how when it was written and all, all of that because this then becomes and we were talking about this in prep this becomes its own tradition right and there are a lot of modern tradi- things over the last 20 30 years as a result of one side really winning the worship wars mm-hmm. and that is the contemporary side have have won the worship war i think we can say by and large but now if somebody comes into a church and it doesn't have a full band, it doesn't have a praise, you know, the praise team, and it doesn't have percussion and it doesn't have multiple instruments, some are offended by that. And, yeah. and it's actually because, well, they bought it's into a new tradition. A tradition. You know, where's, where's the guy, you know, I mean, we were I mean, it, it is some of that because I'm outside that tradition I, I, and I will call it a tradition. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a tradition. It is a new tradition. But I'm so, I'm outside so that I'm able to see it. And some – there was a video a few years ago. I don't know if you saw it, Brian. It was, it was called Sunday's Coming, and it was about um, – and it was kind of a, a, a self <clears> – a big church kind of making fun of itself a little bit about the way it had embraced new traditions. Yeah, I did see about that. About, yeah. you know, how the music's done and, and how the guy's dressed and how the transitions are done. But, you know, the guy, you know, with his plaid shirt on and his jeans and his boots and his cool guy glasses and, you know, whatever else. And it, it had become such a tradition that it was as worthy of uh, a little uh, poke as the old staid, you know, piano, uh, either piano or, or pipe organ playing yep. and, the, and the choir with their robes on. That was one tradition. This has become a new tradition. And we need to understand that that what is what's done versus how it's done are two different things. Let's go there for the last few minutes because you planted a church over thirty years ago mm-hmm. and started traditions, right? And so, I, and then I went into an established church that was you know eighty years old and that definitely had traditions that I had to deal with and fight. There were unbiblical traditions right. and all. This. But I stayed 17 years, which means, and I can remember the moment, by the way. I can remember the moment I was there long enough, and I had enough people who had been there with me long enough mm-hmm. that not only had we established our own traditions, right. but we were curmudgeon to change them. Oh, we, and we were challenged right. exactly. So, so let's talk about that <laughs> last few minutes. So, we, like, what is, you know, how have you faced recon, you know, recognizing these? this is a tradition we have, and somebody wanted to change it. How... How would how did you as a founding pastor who set those traditions? <laughs> right. How did, how did you deal with that? Yeah. So I mean, I can give some examples of yeah, things. Give one. So yeah, I mean, one. and again, this is going to sound. You have to understand. <laughs> you know, please understand that I am. I I, I I what I say is going to sound hilarious to some guys. You know, but yeah. so for instance, uh, we used a certain hymnal. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so we're old enough. They, 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 we didn't. They, I started before there were. I mean, there were projectors. Before there was electricity, yeah. right? <laughs> it was, no. was sometimes we had a little <laughs> hamster on a wheel that spun around and gave us <laughs> a little bit of a spark, <laughs> and it was enough to to see by. That's you right. Know? So, That's right. You know, but we had a certain we have we have a, uh, a certain hymnal, and a lot of Reformed Baptists sang out of that hymnal. In fact, it kind of became a a, a point of. Almost orthodoxy. Well, oh, and people yeah. say, "Well, I went to a church. I said, well, they didn't have the Trinity. They didn't hymnal. have the red hymnal. They didn't have the blue. They? No, no, they no. We have the blue hymnal. Oh, the, Brian. I'm sorry, it's the, the blue, blue hymnal. hymnal. Thank you for making this point. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the old Orthodox Presbyterian hymnal redone with some Baptist hymns in it. So it's Trinity hymnal Baptist yep. oh, edition. Yeah. Oh yeah. And if you don't sing out of the Trinity hymnal Baptist edition, in some places. 
among well-taught people with good theology, it, it, it's a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to add new hymnody, mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not talking Hillsong here, yep. but like something as radical as the Gettys or as crazed <laughs> as, you know, Sovereign Grace Music or something like that, uh, or to sing an old song to a, a new tune. Easy now. Now, now you're meddling. I, I know, Stay I'm getting into meddling. Now. And then to project it onto a screen. Like a screen? Oh, man. Or a wall. You have derailed at this point, haven't you? I mean, we are, like, we're going to introduce shag carpeting in a few years. (laughs) We're not quite there yet, but I'm hoping to get there. Thanks for the picture. You know, so we're so far, you know, anyway, we're so far behind. But I had to deal with it. I actually, I had somebody say to me when we sang a hymn outside the hymnal, I would have appreciated a heads up. Yeah. Prepare their hearts for that. Yeah, so they could prepare their hearts for the shock. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I'm serious, you know, and 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 and, and you know, so we have. And I, I I understand, I understand, you know, but first, I understand the reason why you might want to use the hymnal rather than the screen. It has notes in it. Yeah. And every once in a while, the guy running the projector messes up a little bit. So you know, so if that happens, the projector breaks down, yep. and, and the congregation. So that I, so I get why there can be a preference. But to say to somebody, look, you understand this that a book is technology. Do you understand that a book is te- it is it's technology? Yeah, yeah. And maybe somebody years ago felt the slippery slope when they moved from a scroll to a book. Yeah. So that kind of thing, or moving the Sunday school time mm. from, you know, you wouldn't. And then we moved especially our, the time you set. There's no I, way you would do that. That would well, just be too- you know, I came out of a strong church, so Trinity Church. So I used to jokingly say we're on Trinity Standard Time, <laughs> and that was kind of a way to tweak it and make a joke, and but also say, you know, okay, well, why why this time? Why that time? Uh, and so, well, how long should Sunday school be? Uh, how long should the break be? Some of those kinds of things just get embedded. Like, well, mm-hmm. this is the way we did it. Well, yeah. I I liked it when. We had a half-hour break, and there were muffins and uh, coffee and, and, stuff, and, yeah. and coffee and yogurt uh, and, and whatnot. And others, no, I prefer I prefer a more streamlined thing. Well, you get in some of this. Some of this doesn't matter. It, it is, and so we'll poll the congregation on some of this yeah. because it, it, it's not a biblical. I mean, you know that that, that well, how long you have Sunday school is not a matter of exegesis. Yeah. And so it, it is largely a matter of function and preference. Yeah. And, and so those kinds of things you need. But the point of it is we had embedded certain traditions. So we sing a musical. We, we do, I can't remember what they call it, but, but that we sing an amen every time we sing a yeah. hymn. Yeah. Every time we sing a hymn. Yep. A lot of churches don't do that. It's an old thing, uh, uh, but, but many have dropped it. I, there are some. We have some exegetical reasons why we do it. I don't believe that we would be sinning if we didn't do it. Right. But if we stop doing it, for some, it it might be viewed as an a, an issue of faithfulness. Yeah. And really, what you're saying, well, show me from the Bible why. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know why, but it's it's when we, you know, but I feel like we're accommodating to time. I feel like we're changing with the times. Yeah. And others have just said, I've told us. I just don't like change. I just, I don't like change. I get that. Yeah. I mean, so that's a really helpful example, by the way. And, and one that out of your context, obviously, Yeah. but it, it crosses over big time. Like, I mean, just the idea of, you know, that 
that in good in just making a good effort to have a good solid hymnal for everybody to sing out of that all of a sudden the trinity hymnal is viewed as inspired Sacrosanct. almost like the bible like the bible's inspired like there's people who that slips over but the by the way the a lot of the tunes in that are terrible and and so we're facing some backlash from that now I'm sure. like, like like the words are great can we do something about the but tunes? Here's so, the cross, but here's the crossover. And, you know, we're we're entering the holiday season. There's tons of church traditions that people have the holiday season, and to even try to change any of those things, that many of them are just traditions of the church. They're not right. embedded in a passage that you're pulling from. And yet, man, to try to change some of those traditions, here's one that I thought of in my context as you were sharing about the hymnal and things. Yeah. So. A tr- there's a think of all the traditions in your church that in uh, other ba- Baptist context there's tradition that you keep people on a membership role even though they're not members really anymore mm. and that's a tradition that's a big tradition in a lot of Baptist churches uh, it certainly was in, in in my context and so here's what here's where that shows up and you start challenging that tradition yeah all of a sudden you're dealing with people not just because this is the way we've always done it. Uh, do not take my grandson off the membership role because uh, because they have tied his salvation to his name on that list. Oh, yeah. And I dealt with that actually often. I guarantee wow. you people listening to this right now, is, is that's one of the traditions they're dealing with. So that's why we want to have this conversation is that that's how, those, that's how those things get embedded. But the way to address it, as we've been talking, as we wrap this, you know, clear teaching from the Bible over a long period of time in a faithful ministry but then you eventually have to slowly begin to try to connect how the church is functioning in these traditions and how it compares to what Scripture teaches us. I, I appreciate you bringing up the psalm hymns and spiritual songs passage because I think that's a good example. That's a clear passage. I could tell you 10 different churches who apply that in 10 different exactly. ways and would argue we're following like the, the, the only Psalter churches you were talking about. Right. They would use that passage to argue that. I know... I know contemporary. I know really modern church plants where the the music guy just wrote a wrote a hymn on Psalm one thirty nine and would count that as right. they sing it. Sure, a brand new hymn singing a psalm. Right, and 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 there's and I think there's an argument on both sides. So th- there's a variety even when we're going to use the biblical text to make these arguments. Exactly, that's where these traditions yeah, right. get mixed up. When you agree, yeah, I, I do. And, and and to understand that sometimes and and what you do is some of it is fine. I mean, it it is the way that. This is how we do it. And every church is going to have to figure out how do we take these biblical things and how do we do it? Yep. So do you have announcements? Do you do, when do you do the announcements? When do you, you know, for some people to say, like, when we do our announcements, we do our announcements, bef- we kind of view it before worship starts. And we'll make a statement. We'll say, now let's begin our worship. Because mm-hmm. I, I've been in churches where the announcements are five minutes in, we've, we've read scripture, we've sung, and now we're talking about when we're going to have the ladies' tea. And to say, I, I think that's a distraction. So again, yeah. that's but it becomes a tradition. And the way we've done it, if we were to change it, well, is there a biblical reason? Or again, is it is it simply we're saying, look, we've done it this way, we, we and, and if we're going to change, why are we going to change? And is it in the category of exegesis? Is it is it in a different category? But the fact that you've done things the way you have, that you traditionally, how, how long do you preach? Well, we traditionally preach 45, 50 minutes. That's part of our church tradition, sometimes an hour. It's part yeah. of our church tradition. What do you do after you preach? Well, you either sing or there's a time of silence. That's a church tradition. That, that is a tradition. 
Why do you do what you do? You know, those kinds of things. And it's the way we do life together. And you want to tell people, look, there's a difference between here's the biblical principles, but this is how we do them. And how we do them is different than how Auburndale does them. If you go to a different church and how they do them. So those are the things I think we want to make clear. That's really good. My final word on this is to, to realize, be aware of the church's traditions. You know, see if they're grounded in the Bible, if they're just totally grounded in the culture of the church. Recognize those at the beginning, work within them, but realize the longer you stay as a pastor, you will you will you will put new traditions in place, and you almost want to be aware at the beginning of traditions and what it looks like in your church context, because you got to be able to recognize eventually if you stay long enough, you put your own traditions in, and you got to be willing to see whether that was a preference or whether right. that's actually a biblical conviction that you have. So, Jim, will you take a minute and pray? Yeah, a lot of wisdom needed for this sorting yeah. stuff. Will you pray for pastors? Sure. Oh, thanks. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you give a promise in your word that you you will give abundantly and liberally uh, to those who seek and ask for wisdom. And Father, thank you. We have a sufficient Bible. We believe, Lord, you have equipped the man of God for every good work. And so, Father, we pray for hearts and minds that would be guided in accordance with truth, that we would be wise in the establishment of of what will become new traditions in regard to how we do things, that we would be wise in confronting old traditions and loving toward those who are established in those uh, and who may be confused as to why they do what they do. Um, Grant us, Father, loving hearts. Grant us skill in teaching and preaching and applying the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.